Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. listening to fangirl sports network get my job on blue wire i am your host tracy sandler and i'm joined today by stadium host and sideline reporter Kristen balboni this is a fantastic episode Kristen talks about what it's like to always be on the go how she got her start on camera and what she's learned along the way her favorite moment in sports and so much more If you like what you hear, and I know you will, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. And also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Now, let's get to it, fangirls. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you on Get My Job. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be on here. Well, I've been looking forward to this one for a while now. I've been following you for a while, obviously following your career, following your social media, which you think is always so funny because it feels like I know you even though we've never met in person. Likewise, I do the same with you. So this is nice to get a chance to talk. (laughs) Yes, it really is. And that's the funny thing about social media where you're like, I know this person, but I I don't necessarily. (laughs) But that being said, the first and most important thing I want to talk about because I feel like you, I know you, is your dog Lucille. (laughs) Well, Tracy, you know the way to my heart. Um, Lucille is without a doubt the superstar of my household, my Instagram account. I'm more than happy to play second fiddle to her. She's a six pound mutt chihuahua. We're not sure exactly what she is. We adopted her as an adult um, at age five. She's about nine now uh, and she was a stray dog. So, I mean, she's definitely spoiled, uh, definitely runs the house, but I kind of justify it by saying like, God knows what she went through, you know, Um, but in reality, I just can't deny a cute face. So um, I'm obsessed. Well, I get it. And I have two Chihuahua mutts myself um, and had one before these two and Again, the rescues and I do the same thing. I don't know what they went through. Even right now when I record the podcast, um, I record in my home. So I put them in my room because sometimes they will bark. And it breaks my heart to do that, even though they're in my room, each with their own bed and multiple toys. Uh, Actually, when I'm doing um, coaches conference calls for sideline reporting, she has snored on the phone before. Like I've had it on speaker while I'm talking. She has snored so loudly that people have asked what's going on. That's really funny. Yeah, that's pretty (laughs) impressive. Any dog can bark, but can your dog snore so loudly that people ask what's going on? I mean, it's, it is ridiculous, but that, I mean, they're the best though, aren't they? The Chihuahua Mutts. I think they get a bad rap, but they're the the most loving. All adult dogs are so loving. They just want a home, you know, especially if they've been through some stuff and Chihuahuas Mm -hmm. are great. We got to spread the word. We really do. And they are there. I've always had Chihuahua mixes and they are. And the thing with rescues is they know the difference. And so they're just the best. I just, yeah, can't say that enough. So I'm so excited that she is a rescue and she's so cute. So of course that was the number one, most important thing that we had to discuss. We have now turned this into a dog appreciation podcast. Tracy, I don't know if that's where you're planning on taking it, but that's what this has become. 
I'm here for that. Really? <laughs> I think a, a dog appreciation podcast, I think is actually not a bad idea. And maybe we should talk offline about co-hosting them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm free. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, guys, we've covered a lot here already. Lot <laughs> the important stuff. The important stuff we've got. Now that we've got the important stuff out of the way, let's talk about you and your career. Second to Lucille, but still. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to start by knowing just when did you know you wanted to be a sports reporter? You know, it's really interesting. I um, went to school at UNC Chapel Hill and I was in the journalism program but the track that I took, I don't know if this is the same at every journalism school, but we had to pick, you know, an individual track within the J school. So it could be, you know, uh, broadcast news, um, advertising, all those different types of tracks. And I actually picked advertising because I did not think that I could make it as a sports reporter. That was always my dream. Um, but I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't have any connections. I grew up in a small town in North Carolina. You know, it just didn't seem like an attainable dream to me. So I actually kind of hedged my bets in journalism school uh, as a student and picked the advertising track, even though I got my, my journalism degree, because I thought that was the kind of safe option. So I think the first time I really realized it was possible was interning at ESPN. I did that in between my junior and senior year of college uh, through research. That's where I got my start. That's was my first full-time job at ESPN was as a researcher. And I had done a lot of scoring of baseball games. I worked for USA Baseball. I worked for the Cape Cod League, a lot of unpaid internships. But I never thought that I could actually make a career in anything. I thought this would be just a fun hobby um, until I actually got there, got to meet people, saw the path that it was possible, um, not you know at the time as an intern, but I just thought, oh, these are, this is realistic. These are people who have done this. These are people who have started out just where I am. And I think that was the first time that I really allowed myself to believe that this was something that I could do. I would imagine research was also a great place to start because that's such an important part of what we do as reporters is research. And so probably knowing how to do that. And can you also explain a little bit is to exactly what that means. Obviously, I think I, I think most of our listeners know what research is, but research at ESPN, what exactly does that entail? Yeah, I didn't know it existed until they came to talk to my class in at Chapel Hill. They came to talk to one of our journalism classes because everyone had always said to me, oh, you love sports so much, you should work at ESPN. And I had no, as a junior in college, I had no uh, PA experience. I didn't know how to cut a video. I didn't know how to work a camera. So I thought, well, I could never really work at ESPN. Come to find out they have this entire department um, of uh, researchers and so each show has a re and there's other departments within that there's stats and analytics um, all sorts of you know predictive modeling and, and very high level things which i was not involved in but uh, for the purposes of the job that i did within the research department in the stats and information department uh, each show at least at the time um, i assume it's still this way at espn although it's been about five years since i worked there each show had their own researcher who would come up with information. They would you know, dive into the storylines of the day from whatever the producer and, and talent were putting together. And then you'd build your graphics. Uh, you would write notes on it. And so it would be, you know, this is the record of, you know, your 49ers over the last three years in this situation or Jimmy Garoppolo's quarterback numbers, whatever it is. And you'd kind of try to make storylines based off of that. And it could be anything from a full screen graphic to, pitching a show idea. It, it was very, it was much more um, rooted in producing than I ever expected it to be, which I think is cool. And you're so right. It touched on a lot of different 
areas. You built your own graphics, you wrote copy, you of course did all the researching and there's all these databases and models. Um, and it's it's really a fascinating thing, a department that I didn't know existed. And it's so um, important to what they do there at ESPN and then obviously at other networks that I've worked at as well. It's just, a, it was a very, it was a tough start, you know, to kind of uh, learn all of that information and digest it and then be able to give reporters and, and hosts who were 10, you know, 10 times more experienced than I was, you're writing their scripts and you're like, what am I doing here? Are they going to read this? I can't believe it. But it was a, it was a great immersion into the world of ESPN. And like I said, it touched on a lot of different departments, which I thought was incredible. And so what I kind of described is like a more of a sports center researcher. Uh, after I'd been there for a few months, I got hired back full time after I graduated. I started working as Mike and Mike's researcher at the time. They were, you know, still together doing their show. It's a four-hour radio-first show. So my research for them was more of planning segments um, coming up. You know, if I saw a stat that that really stood out, I would, you know, put something together on this. Well, like Greeny, your Jets, you know, are are terrible in the early afternoon slot. Like what, you know, whatever it was. Um, certainly, probably better ideas than that. It's just been a while since I've well, I mean, <laughs> put my research the Jets, on. The Jets are terrible, and so I well, think that that's a very fair top yeah. of mind example. Just a, they're bad in about every time slot. So I was trying, yeah. I was going for the low hanging fruit there. Um, but so that was more of just a constant basis of feeding them information, trying to support what they were saying. You know, if some of, one of them said something off the cuff and there was research to back it up, that was great. And I also kind of got into segment producing for them. I had a, a great staff around me that really encouraged me to take over and take as much ownership as I could of different segments. Um, and so that was something that was really cool to, to start out, at, you know, in your first job ever. So I have two, two questions somewhat around that. The first being, when did you get your first opportunity to go in front of the camera? And then the second part of that is how did being a segment producer and being a researcher really help you in your on-camera activities or endeavors maybe is a better term. Yeah, I the first time I mean I did some some stuff in college, but the first time I was ever on camera, you know, that was seen by anyone, I guess you could say, <laughs> was um, it was on Mike and Mike, and it happened very happenstance, and I, I owe so much of my career to being in the right place at the right time, and and someone thinking I could do something, and then being able to capitalize on that. Um, so I was definitely in the right place at the right time here. I was researching for them. I'd maybe been on the show, let's call it six or seven months. And I'd always wanted to be on camera, but you know, you know, going into an ESPN job, having just graduated, that you're not going to get your big break on ESPN. It's kind of like what they say about waiters in LA, right? Like every mm -hmm. waiter in LA wants to be an actor. Um, every PA and researcher who's just coming out of college at ESPN, of course, wants to be on camera. So you know better than to think, you know, to ask about it or to think that it's just magically going to happen for you. Um, and so never expected anything to come of it. I was there purely to get production experience at that time. And um, what happened was, you know, in that format of Mike and Mike Greeny, Mike Greenberg, usually is, was setting up all of the questions. And there was a time where he was like, you know, can we just get someone else to read the questions so that I can answer them without having to, you know, ask all of the time. And so I, um, I got kind of put up there because the guy who usually did their radio for voiceover, excuse me, their radio voiceover stuff was busy. He had so much work to do for the upcoming week in terms of, you know, scripting out and voicing over a bunch of stuff that was right in the middle of football season. And he just had a ton on his plate. 
and they were like, Kristen, can you just come up here and read these questions? I mean, I don't even know if I had makeup on. I had my North Face. I still, I remember vividly, I wore my North Face jacket and my scarf because it was very cold in that studio, just up onto the set. I mean, I I was so petrified. Um, and I just asked the questions. I'm sure my voice was not over a whisper. Um, but it served the purpose where Greeny got to do what he wanted to do, uh, which was to answer the questions along with Golik instead of having to set him up. And I, um, and then I don't think it happened again for two or three more months. I thought, you know, that's a cool thing that I will be able to tell my friends about, you know, my family about that happened once. And uh, it happened again maybe three months later. And then it happened uh, again a couple months after that. And then ultimately, it became a consistent thing where I did a segment with them every week, and then it became a daily thing, and then it led to more opportunities with ESPN.com and doing a podcast. So I was incredibly fortunate, did not expect that at all. Um, so you know, I will forever owe my start in this industry and what a great start it was to be on ESPN at the age of 22, 23, uh, to that entire Mike and Mike staff, uh, Greeny Golick and the entire production staff for believing in me after what I'm sure was a very rocky start. Um, but uh, you asked also about how researching um, and my production experience helped. I, I utilize it every single day. I'm so grateful that I got my start in that. As, when I do games, Tracy, as you know, so much of it is about the work that you do before you talk to anyone. And I mm -hmm. spend, I'd say 75% of my time researching and 25% of my time on camera, even doing shows every single day and doing games every single weekend. And I think it's always been that way at, at any stop I've had at ESPN or Fox or Stadium. I really enjoy the research. I, I enjoy finding the stories that are uh, that no one knows about. And I get so excited to tell them and to dig in and to follow up on them with coaches or players um, or on camera, you know. I, and so I just absolutely love the research part of it. I either go with a, a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, depending on the day, and I just dive in um, to the notes or to an article or whatever it is. I enjoy that part of the process so much, and I feel like it has grounded me in terms of my reporting and my hosting in that I feel pretty comfortable no matter what way the the story goes or what way the topic goes that we're talking about it. I feel I try to at least have a really good understanding of, of each thing that I'm going to cover. So I'm gonna, I want to back up a little bit and then piggyback on something you just said. You talked about being in the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah. But I think there's something to be said for also being ready when that happens. And can you talk just a little bit about that? Because we talk a lot on this podcast about knowing your stuff and knowing how to do a number of different things so that when your number is called, to be use a totally cliche metaphor, <laughs> uh, when your number is called, that you can say, yeah, I can do it. Because someone else may have said, oh, I don't, I don't want, I'm not ready to get up and ask those questions. Someone else could do it. Because so can you talk a little bit about that and being being prepared and being confident enough to say, yep, I can take this opportunity and run with it? Absolutely. I, you know, maybe my first time, I mean, there was no question that I wasn't going up there. Again, I did want to be on air. Um, and my mom has actually, my mom has said those exact same words to me. So I don't know if you two have been talking like, oh, I would have <laughs> never done it. I can't believe you got up there. And I was like, come on, mom, everyone would have done it. Um, but it was such an incredible opportunity. And then I think very quickly after that, once I realized I would be on air, a little bit more, um, you know, we took the North Face jacket off, which was step <laughs> one. Uh, but I also started watching myself um, on camera. And that was that was a tough, that was a tough transition for me, I'll be honest. And that I think that's something that young broadcasters 
these days, at least the ones that I interact with are like, here's my reel. Can you give me feedback? And I'm like, gosh, good for you. Because to me, that was a very, that was a big adjustment process to get used to watching myself on a consistent basis in order to, to try to get better and then asking other people for feedback. So I would say that was something that happened pretty quickly and that I had to kind of uh, make myself do. And it wasn't pleasant at first, but it was, it's absolutely been the thing that I think made me feel comfortable in terms of having my number called, as you said, that I, you know, watched that first one and I go, okay, that was not great. I, you can tell I'm nervous. My hands are shaking or whatever it was. All right. How can I be better the next time that this randomly happens? Um, and also I had an incredible support system with the guys on that show. They were all awesome. They're so conversational. Those guys are such pros that it was a little bit like we were just talking to each other. And I think that that's great advice for anyone who's more experienced in the business is just trying to make everyone else feel as comfortable as possible, especially if they're just starting out. And I, I owe so much to them for that. And then another, you know, I just did a lot of little stuff when I was at ESPN and I wanted to get better. Um, even when I got comfortable with my role on Mike and Mike, I, there were still things that, you know, I didn't know how to do. Like I didn't know how to read a prompter. So I would go home and there's an, at least there used to be an app. I don't know if it still exists where it was like, I don't make your own prompter.com or something. And you would just like put in a script and roll it. And I would roll it on my phone or my iPad and, you know, hold it far away from me as far away as I could and try to do things that way or, you know, record highlights and try to talk over them, take a script from ESPN. So I try to do all those things on my own makeshift style so that when it was time, you know, like you said, for my number to be called, I was as ready as possible. And, you know, nothing substitutes the real thing of just getting as many reps as possible. But I worked at it as much as I could just because I never wanted there to be an opportunity that came my way. And there were some really unexpected ones when I was just starting out at ESPN. I got asked to do, I was an ESPN.com fantasy football analyst because of my research background. And that was the first time that I had used a prompter for segments. Um, I built my own graphics for that uh, weekly segment that I did. I built my own graphics, wrote my own scripts, uh, hosted it, um, and was the analyst. I did it all. I don't think I booked the studio time, but it was close to that. Um, <laughs> and, and then we, did, we had a podcast. And so there were so many things that I could not have imagined were coming my way based off of these uh, appearances on Mike and Mike. And I just tried to be ready for whatever. If someone had said to me, hey, we want you to host this you know, show on ESPN, which of course they never did. I just wanted to be ready just in case to the best of my ability because I never wanted to have to turn down an opportunity because I didn't think I could do it. And I think that's that's the great advice. You know, make sure you're always ready and on top of your game because you just, you never know when the opportunity may come. Oh, and also asking for people for advice, which I, I'm mm -hmm. sure, you know, you have experience on both sides of. Uh, Mike Greenberg was a great mentor to me. I mean, he would take me into his office and be like, you know, you did good on this. Here's where you could do better. You know, keep being yourself. Don't be this version of a, a newscaster that, that, you know, you think you have to be. I mean, just little things that he took me under his wing um, from someone who started his career, you know, out of journalism school. And I, I learned so much from him and I would call other people that I knew in the industry and, and ask them questions. And there was only so much I could do in terms of getting that on-camera experience in all of those different settings in a studio or on radio or podcast. There's only so many things I could do at that time that were actually going to air where I could watch myself, but I tried to load up on all the other stuff. And I think a big part of that was asking for feedback and asking for advice and how do the people that you see doing it best, how do they approach every day? 
And that is so important. And to take the feedback and not take the feedback personally. And it's hard. you're asking for it for a reason. It is, it's very hard, but you're asking for it for a reason. And, and the people want, if you're at, if you're trust somebody enough to ask them, that person wants to help you. So, you know, listen and, and take it and see what you can do to improve. Cause no one's saying anything to be mean. I mean, there, there may, we're not talking about social media where everybody's saying, things yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, but in these kind of situations, people aren't saying anything to be mean. They want to help you. So don't be afraid to ask for the advice and then be prepared for the response and, you know, take it for what it is and see what you can do to improve, I think would probably be helpful. Absolutely. And knowing that it's always going to make you better. Uh, if you, you know, if you think it's something that you can use, they're, they're telling you these things, you know, giving you feedback in order to, to ultimately make you better, which is a, a great service, especially when you're on camera. I remember I had a producer at Fox Sports. Uh, his name is Michael Jankolovitz. He's an incredible producer. He's since moved up at Fox as he should, because he is great at everything he does. Um, and I was working at the buzzer and we did our first, one of our first interviews with a big name NASCAR guest. Um, and I want to say it was Kyle Busch, but I can't remember off the top of my head. This was several years ago and, you know, it was a big deal. He was, he was coming into the studio and we were live streaming it. And, um, you know, we, I'd worked hard. I'd done all my research as I, you know, I told you I'm prone to do. And I was like, I got this, like, you know, feel great about it. And we did it. I thought it went well. And, you know, a couple of days later, he was like, you know, I just want to give you some feedback. He was like, you know, great job preparing, great job with the interview, except he was like, there were a couple of times where I wished you would have followed up. And I thought, oh, it's just right there. I would love to know what he meant when he said this. He said, and you didn't follow up. You just, you know, went right down to your next question. And I remember going, oh my gosh, I thought it was such a good interview. You know, and thinking in my head, I was like, you know, thank you so much. I remember thinking in my head, I thought it was such a good interview. Turns out it wasn't. And then, you know, I put that out there. Um, so, you know, that's hard. I think it's hard if you're type A or a perfectionist or whatever you want to call it to absorb feedback, as you said, without taking it personal. But I will tell you, I want to thank him to this day for telling me that he cared enough to say, this is how you could, it was really good except for this thing. And it could have been even better. And, you know, now one of the compliments that, that I appreciate the most is when someone tells me, oh, you did such a great job in that interview. Oh, you listened, you followed up. Um, and I take a lot of pride in that now. And uh, Tracy, if he hadn't told me that because he's such a good producer and cared about, you know, my development as, as someone who's on air, I don't know that I ever would have caught that on, on my own. You know, I could have thought, well, I'm, I'm doing a great job or, oh, I am following up. But he really made me look at all of the interviews I did after that through that lens and made me more, you know, fastidious about it. And now I think it's, it's probably one of my greater strengths. It's something I'm really proud of. And I think that's really great advice. And I think it's something for women and men who want to get into this industry you ask a question, you listen, and there is follow-up. And I think a lot of us, when we do, especially people like, I think I'm very similar to you, like I'm prepared and I'm ready to go and I know what I want to ask and then I ask my question. And then, but you do need to listen and follow up because that's, I think, where the gold is. I'm really like speaking in so many metaphors today, but I do think that is- I love is, them, nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> nuggets of wisdom, I like that. That's where the gold is. And I actually had a, a situation this summer at training camp, uh, I asked Quan Alexander, how are you feeling? And he said, legendary. And <laughs> I loved the answer. And I like was so busy 
tweeting, Quan Alexander says he feels legendary, that another reporter said, did you say legendary? Please explain. And I thought, I should have asked, why didn't I follow up with that? Like I got, I loved, you know, and I think it was for me, that was just a good lesson. So it's funny you bring that up and it's something I've taken with me since then. Um, because why wouldn't, how did I not follow up on legendary? And that'll never happen again. But I think that that's such an important part of being a reporter is the listening and following up and connecting with the people that you're talking to. Well, and I would say this on, on the flip side, I remember when you did your uh, five fast facts or fun facts with Nick. Five fun facts. Yeah. With Nick um, yes. And that, I mean, that got a huge response. I still remember it. I thought it was great, but you could have just done, I remember thinking, and this is, I had no idea that we were ever going to talk and do this podcast and talk about this specific thing. But I remember thinking, because you asked the five questions and you followed up on every single one of them. And I remember thinking that would have been a great segment, even if you just got the five fun facts from him and you followed up on every single one while still making it snappy. And I just thought it was so good. So I would just say, I mean, I never thought that we would be here discussing this, but I remember thinking, oh, that's if I ever do something like that, that's how I'd want to execute it. Well, and what's funny is I've been doing five fun facts for a while. And since since the legendary, which is was not even a big deal, I don't think anyone other than me really noticed, you know, but I noticed for well, myself. We're our own worst critic. Yeah. Totally. But because of that, and I've done quite a few five fun facts since then, I always follow up. I listen and follow, but because it, it stuck me because they say things, especially in five fun facts, um, and this will transition actually into my next question for you, but especially in five fun facts where I think it's it's such a great and rare opportunity that I have where I get to mm -hmm. sit with the player and have him tell me about himself that's away from football. And, you know, the guys enjoy it and it, the fans love it because they get to know the players a little bit better. And it's really a great opportunity that I get. And I'm thankful to the 49ers for making, you know, everyone available and to the, the guys for wanting to do it. But I think those follow-up, that's where the best, in the five fun facts, I always think that's where the best answers come out is in the follow-ups. Um, I completely so agree. I appreciate that. And that Nick Bosa one was that was a particularly good one. I loved the Nick Bosa one. It's, I don't like to play five fun facts favorites, but it's definitely one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm just impressed you can say that so quickly. I would have stumbled all the way through five fun facts. Five fun facts. I, I already messed it up. I didn't even get the S on facts. So. Well, the origin of five fun facts, if anybody cares, then we will get back to you, was when I first started Fortnite's Fangirl, or first started Fangirl Sports Network, it wasn't that. It was a blog I did for the fun of it called The Trials and Tribulations of My Love-Hate Relationship with the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> so it was that. It was wordy. And it was the year was 2015. And so you may remember the 49ers were terrible with no, not like terrible like they were in 2017 where you could see a plan for the future. They were just terrible. And I was like, how am I going to create content on this pet project of mine and make it interesting? And I thought how Phil Dawson had been the offensive MVP that year. And so I just wrote one day five fun facts on Phil Dawson because I also like the alliteration. And that's how five fun facts was born. That was I love that. Thing. And I love to see it in, in so many iterations. I mean, it's it's followed you through all of the iterations of, of you know, starting a, a business and a network. And then now you're you're doing it on Twitter videos. I mean, from from your blog, I love good content and especially something that you've that speaks to people and that you've continued to evolve will last no matter what it is, no matter how bad or good the 49ers are. Yes. No, five fun facts. It's, 
it's my thing. Now everybody, I <laughs> which I, which I love. So that brings me to my next question for you. And you talked about this earlier when you do the research and really dive in. Sometimes you find that story that no one else has found or that story behind the story. I, this is a two-parter. What is one of the most rewarding stories you've ever reported on? And what is one of the most fun stories you've ever reported on? I would say the most rewarding story that I think I've ever reported on was sitting down with Courtney Smith, who is the ex-wife of Zach Smith, who was, um, when we sat down, he had just been let go by Ohio State. He was the former wide receivers coach mm -hmm. for Urban Meyer. And, um, you know, if, if you follow college football or kind of the, the sports industry, that really became a big deal, that whole saga involving mm -hmm. him and, and was there a potential cover-up um, by, by Urban Meyer or at Ohio State to keep him on board, even though there had been uh, known instances of alleged domestic uh, abuse by him towards his, his now ex-wife, Courtney. Um, and so that was, I mean, she is, she is, was incredibly brave and is incredibly brave. And I was just there to, to facilitate her telling her story. But I, it was, it was a time that I felt like, you know, it's, it was much bigger than just sports. I mean, I'm, I enjoy sports. I gravitate towards sports because it's fun. It's a release. It's entertaining. Um, and, and I, I love that part of it. Um, and this was something that I felt like though was, was much bigger than sports. I, I hope it helped some people. I think it helped her find her voice. And, and from what I understand now, she's, she's become someone who's, who's very vocal about domestic abuse and has become somewhat of an advocate. And I, it was a, it was a story about alleged institutional cover-ups uh, in the name of, of winning games. And I just felt like that was the most, I, I felt like it made a big impact. And the way in which I got to conduct the interview uh, told a story that was important to what was going on. And that was something that people needed to hear and people did hear it. And you know, I felt like I was I was an important part of that um, just by being the facilitator and by the way in which we conducted the interview. And so I'm I'm very proud of the way that we were able to help her tell her story. And um, I think it's something that I will always um, I will always feel is probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done and probably will ever do in my career. Um, it, it was definitely not the most, I was going to say, it's definitely not the most fun, though, as you, that was the <laughs> second part of your question. Um, gosh, I'd say the most fun, it was a game that I reported on. I don't know if it's a story. I mean, I've got tons of silly, I've done a lot of silly things. I wore a dad bod jersey on <laughs> um, on one of our studio shows here at Stadium. There was like a minor league uh promotion from maybe not minor league excuse me um it was an independent league and they wore dad bod jerseys so you know like the full sweaty chest hair jersey and <laughs> all sorts of stuff and I, I wore that on camera so I'm, I'm certainly all about making fun of myself but um I think one of the the most fun things I've ever been a part of was a couple of years ago around Thanksgiving there was this tournament at the Barclays Center and it was these uh, you know different college teams it was the start of college basketball season and Alabama and Minnesota were playing this game they were both ranked in the top 25 if i'm not mistaken at the time and Alabama their entire bench got called um, and got ejected, I think, for like stepping on the court because there was a fight, and then someone got injured, and then another 
guy fouled out and they ended up playing three on five in a regulation basketball game. And we've seen four very rarely, but I don't think anyone had ever seen three on five in a game and in a game that mattered um, Mm -hmm. to both of these teams. It was wild. And so to get to report on that game and then and then there was a point where Alabama playing two men down with no subs looked like they were going to come back. I mean, they kept it close. They actually outscored Minnesota in that time. It was absolutely wild. And then to get to talk to Richard Pitino, whose Minnesota team ended up winning, although it got very close at the end and just kind of react to this historic moment. It was something that I mean, we were just, you know, on a high after it was over because it's like, when has anyone ever seen that? And then to get to be a part of it and help tell that story and get everyone's reaction was was pretty awesome. Well, and I think you bring up something very interesting in the difference between the most rewarding and then the most fun. And we cover sports and sports is fun and sports is a game. But sometimes there are those stories that are bigger than sports and that have to be told. And I think also as women, to be able to tell that particular story and, and to talk to Courtney Smith is important as well. Um, so I think that's just something people people look at sports as fun, but there's a lot more to it. And you're dealing with humans and human emotions and human interactions. And so I think being able to tell both those stories just gives such a great overview of what it's like to be a sports reporter. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There are sports has the ability to, you know, completely control your emotions. If you're a fan of a team, as you well know, and as I well know, um, you know, it, it has it can do so many things. It can bring people together. You know, if you're at an airport, doesn't matter what you look like or who you are. You can talk to anyone about sports. I love all of the aspects um, of sports and kind of how it transcends so many other things to bring people together, to elicit very strong emotions from people. Um, and then, like you said, there are these stories. I mean, it can, it can make you laugh. It can make you cry. And then there are these stories that I don't think they happen so often, but every once in a while you get these stories that are rooted in sports that transcend the sports landscape and get everyone talking. And, you know, it's it's very cool that we work in an industry that has the ability to touch all of those different things on any given day. Mm-hmm. It's true. On on any given day, and there could be something <laughs> that happens in a yeah. game, outside the game, that becomes the story and becomes an, an actual news story. And I think it's it's I think it's really amazing that you've gotten to be a part of um, become a part of Courtney Smith's story. And- thing about covering sports you just never know what what may come up um, and how important those stories are to tell mm-hmm. um, especially the Courtney Smith story so that is awesome thank, thank you. you for sharing that with us because that is obviously very very important especially as women who work yeah. in the industry thank you so much I appreciate that I was I was glad to like I said just to get to help facilitate um, her reaching a bunch of people with a story that needed to be told was a, was a big honor for me. So. so when you see women trying to break into the sports industry today, is there an overarching, you know, I use the word mistake, and I, I don't know that that's the, quite the right word, but I can't seem to come up with another one for it, but is there an overarching mistake or misstep um, that you're seeing that you would love for people to correct? Hmm. I think 
I think first and foremost, I want to say, and it was something that we talked about a little bit earlier, is that I have really been impressed, and I don't know if this is, is the same for you, um, but I would guess, I've been really impressed that when young women broadcasters reach out to me, um, you know, and I always try to answer back and, and help as much as I can, I am so impressed with, they just will put themselves out there and they're like, here's my reel, please mm -hmm. give me any feedback. I, you know, I really, and like, you can just tell they're hustlers. Um, and I am just blown away by that. And so I wanna applaud everyone who is listening to this, that that is one of those young women or young men um, who's just going after it and reaching out to whoever they can, even if you don't know them personally. I get a lot of, you know, kind of blind emails or Instagram messages that's just like, hey, I don't know if you'll ever see this, but I'm just putting myself out there. You know, would you help me? I'm, I'm really passionate about this. I'm working two jobs. I'm, you know, doing this internship and editing all my own footage and, and whatever it is. And I just, I want to get better. And I love that so much. And I think that that's, like I said, that wasn't something that came easily to me. It took me a, a while to, like I said, even just want to watch myself without cringing. Um, and so I just, I think that's so impressive. And I, I just think I will always try to help whoever asks me in that way, because I mean, that just shows how dedicated you are to just getting better. And I think that's amazing. The thing I think I see the most, uh, like you said, for, for lack of a better term as, as a mistake, or the thing I see that kind of I don't know, makes me a little sad sometimes, and, and I am very guilty of doing this myself, I think we all are, is a lot of times when I'm talking to these young women and, and we're going over, you know, their, their reel or kind of, you know, I'll say, well, tell me about, you know, what you're doing and how you got here, what you want to do, that kind of thing, is there's just a lot of inherent comparisons to people their own age, you know, whether it's other women or someone who got the job that they wanted, or, you know, I see a lot of other people at at my age, they're already doing this. They've already gotten this job and I'm not there yet. And so it must be something you know, wrong with me. And um, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that to this day. Um, and I, I, I wish that they would realize that that's not the case. Just the fact that there are so many driven young broadcasters out there who wanna get better and to devote all of their time to, to getting feedback and to taking that extra game, even though it's not paying any money or to writing, you know, like you, you starting a blog, like there's so many young broadcasters out there that are just hustling. Um, but then inherent in them kind of pitching themselves to you or talking to you is like, well, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, or I, you know, I should be doing this, or I didn't get that. And um, it's just disappointing because, you know, whenever I feel like that, I always kind of tell myself, you know, if 16-year-old Kristen knew the stuff that I've gotten to do in my career, like how impressed would she be, you know? Um, and and so I need to stop comparing myself to other people or, at, or even to what your own goals are or where you think you should be and just kind of reflect on, on what I've already accomplished and just, you know, that's okay. Like, that's cool. I, I should be proud of that and I should, you know, compare it to, did I do my best work and everything? And I think we all get stuck in this kind of comparison loop. And I would say, you know, to anyone who is hustling and is working in a job that you get to watch sports or be around sports, I mean, we've already got it better than 95% than of other people, I think. And so just to not get so caught up in where you think you're supposed to be at your age or 
what's someone that you know in the industry is doing um, that you think that you should be there? I just think that that's, you know, it can be so defeating. But I think also when you're a hard worker, it's hard not to, it's hard to turn that switch off and say like, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, or I'm, you know, the next thing is right on the way. Um, but it always just kind of bums me out because I think there's so many talented young broadcasters out there and I wish that they, you know, could see that in themselves a little bit more. I think that's really, that's great. And that's really good advice. And along those lines, it's, you think social media makes it very difficult and makes it even more difficult for people to compare and just everyone is, is where they are and you can't worry if you're not there yet and you can't worry that everything looks so perfect on the outside because we all have our own paths and we all have our own paths to get to where we need to be. And I'm really glad that you said that about the comparison because I just think that that is a real issue generally in our industry and just in our world today. And Absolutely. I think it's important. Sorry, go ahead, Kristen. Oh, no, I was just going to say absolutely. I completely agree. And I think you're right. Social media definitely contributes to it. And and one thing that I've learned, I know this sounds cliche, but but one thing I've learned is that some of the people that I've, you know, compared myself, oh, my gosh, like, she's killing it, you know, and she's my age or she's a year younger than me. And, and am I where I'm supposed to be? And the answer is always yes when I, when I stop mm -hmm. and think about it. But, you know, we all get stuck in those moments and social media is a big part of that. There have been times where the people that I've, you know, thought are just killing it with this job or that job or this opportunity have, you know, I found out later that they've been going through some stuff, whether it's work or otherwise. And like you said, social media is not, I know it sounds cliche. I know we all hear it all the time. Um, but it is so true that it only shows one side of things. It does. And along the lines of social media, I would love to get uh, your thoughts on how do you deal with trolls? Because I think that's something, mm. especially as female journalists, you know, we get a lot of things on, especially Twitter and on Instagram that men don't get. That's not their fault. They're just you know, don't get it. If if I mispronounce a name or misspell something, then the girl doesn't know what she's talking about. If somebody else does it, then whatever, <laughs> you know, and I think that's something we deal with a lot. So what is advice you have for dealing with trolls? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a, I certainly don't have it figured out. Um, my, the way I deal with trolls is I do not engage. I, I just won't do it. I will mute. I will block. I I don't look at it more than once, whatever it is. Um, you know, there are times, and it's, I think by definition of the word trolls, we're not talking about this, but if it is kind of what we're talking about, you know, criticism of, you know, like, who is this person? Like, her opinion doesn't make any sense on this or that. I'll say, well, is there anything valuable I can take from this? Most of the time, no. Um, you know, but if it's, if it's a disagreement. Right. If it's a disagreement with something I'm saying on the air, um, even if it's, you know, mean, is there anything at all that I can take from this that's constructive? And as I said, most of the time with trolls, you're not going to get anything. And if it's not, I try my best to put it out of my mind. I mute, I block, um, and I just don't engage. And I just, that's what works for me. I think that, you know, certainly people handle it other ways where they put people on blast or they try to, you know, kill them with kindness or retweet, whatever, you know, I think everyone has to figure out, unfortunately, it's, it's really important that we have to say this. Everyone has to figure out what way works best for them. Um, yeah. And it's sad that we have to, to do that with trolls. But for me, the best thing that I can do uh, is to forget about it. And it makes me, because I can dwell on some stuff, like I'm a dweller. Um, and mm -hmm. so the thing that I've learned that works for me is to just, you know, just sweep it under the rug, didn't happen. That person doesn't know me. Um, 
they, I don't think I'll ever come into contact with them. And, you know, so then I should not care about their opinion. And, and look, much easier said than done, but I find the quickest way to forget about it and not just let it ruin my day is for me to just ignore it and not see it. What do you I do? think that's good advice. I think that's good advice. And I've tried a couple different things. And I think at the end of the day, the not engaging is the way to go. Because mostly it's someone looking for attention. So if you're not giving attention, then that's pretty much the end of the conversation. I think so. I think it kind of serves a twofold purpose when you're not giving them the attention. But also it's just like what I found is healthier for me. And I'm lucky that I think I, you know, I think I deal with it less than I, I know some other people do. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that, but like, we, we still get it, right? We still get it on a pretty frequent basis. And for me, it was like, not only, how do I wanna handle this so that I'm not affected by it, right? So that I don't doubt my work or get upset or, you know, it's just, it's just not a normal thing to have a stranger yelling at you or <laughs> insulting you. It's just not a normal thing. And so the way that I deal with it is not just like, what is the best way of dealing with them? I'm like, what is the best way of dealing with it for me? And mm -hmm. for me, it is to, you know, just swipe it out of existence. And, you know, I think you, that advice goes back to what you were saying earlier about not comparing as well. You can only control what you can control. So focus on you, focus on what you can do to get better, to to advance, to deal with trolls and, and not worry about everybody else. I think there's, there's a general advice theme that I'm finding and I like it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All I can do is, you know, this is the, the kind of stuff that works for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but it's always fascinating to, and that's why I love that you have this podcast. It's always fascinating to hear what works for everyone. And then hopefully you can take a few nuggets here and there for yourself. Absolutely. Well, one of my favorite things to ask people on this podcast, and this in terms of fascinating to hear what's different for everyone is to talk about a day in the life. And you are constantly on the go. I feel like you are always getting on an airplane, which I can totally relate to. Um, so I would love to get a day in the life of Kristen Balboni and then some of your top travel tips. Oh, yes. I love to talk about travel. If anyone wants to talk, you know, and be a travel nerd with me, just send me a message on Instagram. Um, I cannot get enough of like weird nerd travel talk and reading blogs. And anyway, that's a that's for another day. Um, a day in the life. If I am on the road, I will let's say it's a, a travel day to go to a game. So I will, I work in the studio um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then let's say this is a Friday. So that usually starts by me waking up around 5 a.m. Um, it always happens to be a connecting flight. So let's, I get to O'Hare, I go to the American airport, uh, the American Airlines lounge, which is my favorite thing. If you travel a lot, highly recommend doing a lounge. Um, and I start working and I've taken notes from, from coaches calls and you know, let's just call this a, a football weekend. Um, we'll have coaches calls throughout the week um, with each of the staffs. So, and what I do is like essentially a stream of consciousness um, when I'm on those calls, I know everyone has it differently. I'm just writing down everything. And so by the end of these calls um, that last about an hour, I've got like six pages of notes of just gibberish. Like, n you know, none of the words exactly make sense, but I know what it means. So then I start to synthesize those notes. Um, I usually start that at the airport and then getting on, you know, my, my first and second flight. I use that time to work um, for the most part. Oh, there are definitely days where I'm like, I just need a breather. I'm gonna read a book for the next hour. Um, so I notes, notes, notes um, on the plane. And the process I go by is, 
synthesizing everything, and then I start to pick out story ideas. So as I'm recording from coaches calls and as I'm reading game notes, uh, articles, I'm always thinking about what's gonna make the best story and how many stories can I get out of this? And, and for our games, the games that I do here with Stadium, they're broadcast on Facebook, which means we have no commercial breaks. And so I get all that time, which is kind of a sideline reporter's dream because there's so many stories that incredible sideline reporters come up with on a weekly basis. And then something happens to derail, you know, God forbid an injury or the game is incredibly close that there's no time to get in all those stories. So I have the opportunity to tell all these stories and I wanna make the most of, of all of those commercial breaks and all of the time during the game that I have. And so I start putting together stories and I put my stories together in paragraph format, you know, and summarize and try to write them out that, you know, if I, if I could perfectly read it this way, this is the way I would love to say it. Of course, it never comes out that way, um, but one can dream. And so I start synthesizing and start putting together story ideas. I'll start pulling, you know, this is gonna work with this tweet. This is, we need this video. Did you see what they did in the locker room? I start combing through everything. And Friday is really a research and travel day. And that's kind of, you know, it's just wash, rinse, repeat from one plane to the next. Um, I will get into wherever we are. Hopefully I've got a nice long drive in a rental car. I love turning the music up and driving down a highway, getting to my hotel, I'll work a, quite a bit more. I'll talk to my producers um, and I will talk to our our play-by-play -play guy, um, Chris Hassel or AJ Hawk, our analyst. Make sure that everything is ready to go. Um, I will throw on the Great British Bake Off in the background um, <laughs> at a hotel. That and a glass of wine is the best way to finish up notes. But hopefully by, by that time, hopefully by the time I've landed and I've gotten to my hotel, I have most of my stuff done. And then I have a process, um, and this varies with everyone, but something that I started doing because it was so helpful to me is the night before our game, I send out a list of, I call them like Kristen's storylines for tomorrow. And so everyone in my show group um, that's gonna be on the truck gets this list of all of my ideas, you know, every paragraph um, idea that I have, and this was probably like 20 different story ideas. And these are the things that I'm the most interested in. I, you know, here are the elements you might need uh, to load in visually, and here are the questions I might ask you guys. And it's, it's super detailed. I definitely know some people skim over it, but I think for the most part, it's helpful to people. Um, then I watch more Great British Bake Off if I can, or if there's a Friday night game. And then I try to get to bed as early as possible. So, um, you know, very glamorous, Tracy, uh, my Fridays. It's very glamorous, very, very glamorous. And that is the thing with sports journalism as well, whether sideline reporting or in studio, it all looks very glamorous, but there is so much that goes into it. The glamorous part is like the, the smallest part of it. Absolutely. And we see that part. Like you, everyone knows, you know, what a day looks like when it's involved, like when you're on camera, right? Like everyone knows you, you prep, you, you write a show or, you know, you get on the sideline, you ask a question. I'm always fascinated to know how people get to that point. And I guess that's why I picked probably the dullest day of my week, uh, Friday, my travel day to explain. But I mean, it's, it's probably the most important day of my week, I think. Um, and you're right. It has no, no on-camera component, which I think is pretty fascinating. Um, uh, but yeah, it's definitely the most important day of my week. Well, it absolutely is because it that's what makes the glamorous part happen. Because it's it so much have easier. It, yes. Yeah. I mean, Otherwise, you're going to be sitting there on camera being like, uh. 
And I'm someone that, and I know every sideline reporter approaches this differently. I don't want to do anything on Saturday until I get to the field. Like I, I need to get ready. You know, I'll print my notes out. I'll make a few adjustments, but I want to be done with all the hard work by Friday night. I just, and it's, I don't want to have to worry about that and scramble in the morning or early afternoon um, before I go to the field. I just want to have it all done on Friday. Um, and so I go to sleep. I sleep like a baby because I know I've got it all done, um, which is is such a, you know, that's personally the way I prefer to do it, um, although everyone is different. I, oh, and then you asked about travel tips. Oh, yes, travel tips. Uh, like I said, lounge is key if you're traveling a ton. Um, absolutely recommend them. They have clean bathrooms at the airport. They have free food and, uh, you know, free, like, a house wine, which is, like I said, always helpful in getting my notes done on a travel day. So if you're traveling, you know, a couple times a month, I would say absolutely invest in a lounge. Look into whatever airline's lounge that you have. Um, I travel with earplugs, like just Amazon earplugs and a silk face mask, which is also from Amazon. And it's heavenly because you never know what the window situation is. Do the curtains close all the way? Do they not? Is your neighbor loud? Does the air conditioning unit make a noise in your room, which has happened to me more often than you would think? Um, so I always just keep all that stuff in my suitcase, which I think is, is huge. And then, um, no, I mean, this is truly not a, a product endorsement. I paid for this completely on my own and I'm sure that they would never let me endorse them. I have an away suitcase and for anyone who's wondering, I get stopped. That's probably the question I get asked at the airport the most by random people is like, do you like your away suitcase? I would say yes. Truly not sponsored. They've never given me anything. I paid full price for mine. It's a great suitcase. It's the best suitcase on the market. I am also sponsored by that. It is fantastic. I I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Yeah, I think those are my my biggest my biggest tips. I always um, I'm a big reader on planes too, instead of watching stuff, which I know is kind of random. But I when I need to relax from my notes, I always have a book with me. Um, It just calms me down. I like that. Yeah, a little different. Throwing it back. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Well, we talked about five fun facts, and now it is time for your five fun facts. We do, everybody on this podcast gets the same five questions every week, which has been fun because we get to learn a lot about people and people's different answers. So if you're ready, Kristen, I will just run them down and you can give us your fun fact. I am so ready. All right. Your favorite moment in sports. Mm, the 2004, when the Red Sox won the World Series, I it sounds you know it sounds ridiculous now because they've won so many since then. But um, I'm a fourth generation Red Sox fan. Aww. My grandmother was around when Babe Ruth played. My grandfather never saw them win a World Series, and my dad was a long suffering Red Sox fan uh, before that moment. So to get to celebrate that with him and knowing what it meant to our family was absolutely my favorite moment in sports. Your life motto: Go for it. Just go for it. Always say yes to everything. That's what I try to do. Um, every opportunity, every move, um, every job, every non-job, every non-paying thing, I, I want to do it all, and I want to try it all. And I think that's the only way that I can figure out what I like best. Um, so I just go for it. Go to workout. Oh, Soul Cycle. I'm a oh. I'm a big Soul Cycle fan. Nice. I like Soul Cycle too. Go to coffee order or tea if you don't drink coffee. I, um, I'm black coffee only. That's not by choice. That's because if I put anything in my coffee, I would want it to be a full on frappuccino dessert. Um, <laughs> and that's just, 
Yeah, unfortunately, I can't drink my dessert every morning, although I wish I could. Um, so I go <laughs> black coffee. And a book every woman should read. Educated by Tara Westover. I just finished it recently. I was I was at dinner with my girlfriends last night, and we couldn't stop talking about it. I did a book club on it, or one of my friends did a book wow. club on it. It's an absolutely incredible book, and especially kind of going back to what we talked about with comparison um, or believing in yourself. Uh, Tara Westover was a part of, in case you know anyone who hasn't heard of it, she was a part of um, almost like a separationist uh, Mormon family growing up, and they weren't allowed to go to school or. Um, go see the doctor, things like that. And she has since become, I believe it's a Rhodes Scholar, but I, I could be off on the actual scholarship. Went to Harvard, um, Oxford, and has just, you know, made this incredible life for herself that is completely at odds with the way she was raised and the way that her family lives now. So it's, it's an incredibly inspiring story and something, you know, a lifestyle that I knew nothing about. I could not put it down. So I would highly recommend um, any woman, anyone reading that book. All right. Educated. Fantastic. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today. Chrissy, this was incredible. Thank you so, so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to follow us at Fangirl Sports Network. Talk to you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.